Hey, let me start today by reading an excerpt from a book entitled Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. He writes, it was 1998, and I was standing in a narrow hallway outside an apartment on the 27th floor of a high-rise in Harlem. I was the head of the New York City FBI crisis negotiation team, and that day I was the primary negotiator. At least three heavily armed fugitives were holed up inside, so the New York City FBI SWAT team was arrayed behind me. We had one big problem that day in Harlem, no telephone number to call into the apartment. So for six straight hours, I spoke through the apartment door. It looks like you don't want to come out, I said repeatedly. It seems like you worry that if you open the door, we'll come in with guns blazing. It looks like you don't want to go back to jail. For six hours, we got no response. And then when we were almost completely convinced that no one was inside, the front door of the apartment slowly opened. All three fugitives came out. None of them said a word until we had them in handcuffs. And then I asked them the question that was most nagging me. Why did they come out after six hours of radio silence? Why did they finally give in? And all three gave the same answer. We didn't want to get caught or get shot, but you calmed us down, they said. We finally believed you wouldn't go away, so we just came out. Now, I want to push pause on that story right there. We're going to circle back around to it later on in the message. And some of you may be wondering, well, that's a mildly interesting story, but what does it have to do with anything? Well, later on, Chris Voss provides some analysis of what happened right there and what was going on in the minds of those fugitives that is relevant to what I want to talk about today. Now, if you're new to us or you haven't been with us each Sunday in the last six or seven weeks, we've been in a sermon series entitled Rhythm. What we mean by rhythm is staying in rhythm or in sync with the Holy Spirit who indwells us. So as you know, all Christians have the indwelling gift of the Holy Spirit. We receive Him when we are baptized into Christ, Acts 2.38. What's He doing in there? What's His job? What's His ministry? Now, what's the end game of being in rhythm with the Holy Spirit? And we've said a, basically two things. In Romans chapter 8, Paul says that the life that is led by the Spirit is peace and love and joy. So we want the peace and the love that comes in the internal life that's irrespective of our external circumstances. We want that. That comes from the Holy Spirit and being in rhythm with the Holy Spirit. The second thing is holiness. Now, in the introduction to this sermon series, we read a lot of scriptures about the importance of having a clear conscience before the Lord, walking with a clear conscience, holiness. We said we want less of Romans 7, and more of Romans 8. In Romans 7, Paul says, I don't understand what I do. I'm doing the things I don't want to do. But in Romans chapter 8, he says, the life led by the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, we put to death the deeds of the flesh. Holiness. Theologians call it sanctification. The progressive process, lifelong process of becoming more and more holy. So what we want as Christians, no, no Christian is sinless but we want to sin less and less. We want sin to be the embarrassing exception in our lives, not the humiliating rule of our lives. 
That's what we're shooting for and being in rhythm with the Holy Spirit. He is the Spirit of holiness. He is an inner resource or power to help us live a holy life. So, so far in the sermon series, I've identified four rhythms. I call them rhythms of the Holy Spirit. They are spiritual disciplines. And I have three criteria for something to be a rhythm of the Holy Spirit. Number one, it's something that we do. Now, we do it in cooperation with God, but it's something that we do. Number two, it's something we do every day. This is a part of our daily practice, our daily regimen. And number three, there has to be an explicit connection in the Bible between this practice and the Holy Spirit. So what, let's just review what the rhythms of the Holy Spirit are. And each one of these we spent a sermon on, and with prayer we spent two sermons on it. But number one is engaging the Bible. We're going to engage the Bible every day, whether it's reading the Bible or listening to the Bible. Jesus said, the words that I have spoken to you, they are spirit and they are truth. So we're in the Word of God every day. That's one of the rhythms of the Holy Spirit. In the sermon we preached on this, I advocated the one-year Bible. A lot of us use the one-year Bible for our daily reading program or discipline. It's not the only one. But it's extremely useful for staying in the Word every day with the added benefit or blessing that if you do it, you will have read through the entire Bible in a year's time. All right, that was number one. Number two, the second rhythm of the Holy Spirit is prayer. It's daily prayer. Again, Jesus says, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? And on that particular message, I actually had two messages on prayer, but in the one we talked about using the Lord's Prayer as a template to build out our daily prayer time. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's the time to give praise to God. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the time to pray intercession for our spiritual family and for our biological family and for others. Give us this day our daily bread. We pray for our needs. We pray for the Holy Spirit. Forgive us our sins. It's a time of confession and a time to forgive others and so on. Just using the Lord's Prayer as a template. Okay, so daily engagement with the Word, daily engagement in prayer. The third rhythm that we talked about was music. Music. Paul writes in Ephesians, he said, be filled with the Spirit by singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, making music or melody in your heart to the Lord. So we want to sing and or listen to Christian music every day. That's one of the ways we stay connected to the Holy Spirit. And then the fourth one, the one I talked about two weeks ago, was exercise, taking care of our bodies. We're going to do something to take care of our bodies every day. Because the Bible says that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Again, there's an explicit connection in the Word of God with each one of these practices. So those are the four rhythms of the Holy Spirit. There aren't any more. At least not anymore that I'm going to talk about. This is, but this is still, this is the penultimate sermon in the series. We've got one more to go. I'm going to talk about process next Sunday. And there are other ways to grow spiritually. When David Peters was here last Sunday, excellent sermon. Were you here for that? What an introduction. Free bird. Have you ever heard anybody talk about free bird in church before? I'm as free as a bird, but this bird you cannot change. Remember, this bird you can change. And his message was all about change. That God can change us. We have the hope of change. It fits right in with this sermon series. Everything I'm talking about is how God changes us. These are all catalysts 
for change. We sang a song here about speak the name of Jesus. Speak the name of Jesus over the city or over the life or over the family. That's great. But God has catalysts that he uses for change. And these rhythms of the Holy Spirit are those catalysts. But David Peters, in his message, he mentioned other things like weekly worship, corporate worship. He mentioned using our gifts that the Holy Spirit has given us to serve others. Those are means of change as well. So understand that. But this forms the foundation, these four rhythms of our daily practice. So it's those four. But having said that, I do have a runner-up that I want to talk about today. It's not a spiritual rhythm technically, but I'm just going to call it a runner-up. Because it doesn't meet the, the three criteria that I just talked about. It's not explicitly connected to the Holy Spirit, this practice that I'm going to talk about. But it's kind of there by example. I've just added it to my daily regimen this year. Just like Christian music, I'm late to the game on Christian music. Just started listening daily to Christian music this year. Some of you are way ahead of me on that. And this is the second practice that I've added this year that's taken my spiritual journey to another level. I've always done Bible study and prayer for decades, just like a lot of you. So here are the five things that I do every day. Engage the Word, prayer, Christian music, some exercise, and number five, Holy Spirit rhythm runner-up is journaling. I know, kind of anticlimactic, isn't it? Spiritual journaling or Christian journaling. What is journaling? All right, journaling is pretty much what you think it is. It's writing down, either on paper, word processor, whatever that may be, it's writing down our thoughts, our reflections, our feelings, our emotions, our spiritual journey. Nowhere in the Bible are we commanded to write anything down. Not like that. As far as we know, Jesus never wrote anything except when he was drawing in the sand one time over there in John chapter 8, I think it is. But nevertheless, this concept of journaling is there by example in the Old Testament, primarily what we have in the Psalms and the Lamentations of the Old Testament. What is this journaling? It is a spiritual practice of self-examination. And the Bible does Encourage us to examine ourselves. 1 Corinthians eleven thirty one. 31. But if we would examine ourselves, we would not be judged by God in this way. 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. Now let me ask you. It's a rhetorical question. How often do you examine yourself? When do we examine ourselves? When do we pause and think and reflect and meditate on our spiritual journey. When do we look inside? Not navel-gazing, but spiritual examination. How am I doing on my journey with the Lord? Now, probably, many of you may be thinking what we just did when we have the Lord's Supper once a week. That is in time, that's a great time for self-examination. In fact, one of those verses that we read in Corinthians, that's the context of that verse. If we would examine ourselves during the Lord's Supper. But that's a weekly process. This is a daily process. What we have in the Psalms 
in the Psalms, primarily, also Lamentations that was written by Jeremiah, one commentator said, it's not a history of the deeds and the actions of the nation of Israel. It is a chronicle of Israel's feelings and emotions. If you're familiar with the Psalms, and I know a lot of you are, you know how raw they are. People pouring out their emotions. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? That was not something Jesus just said on the cross. It's recorded in Psalms 22, where the psalmist is pouring out his heart. Where are you, God? Questions for God. Anger is expressed there. Bitterness dejection, grief, mourning, as well as hope and faith and love. Psalm 86.1, Hear me, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. These, these prayers and songs that are recorded in the Old Testament are totally unsanitized. Raw emotions. Now, journaling can help us with each of the four rhythms of the Holy Spirit. It helps us in our scripture engagement. If we're to write down something that is reflective of what we're reading that day in God's Word, it can help us with our prayer. In fact, the Psalms are recorded prayers, and we can keep a, 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 a record of our prayers and how God is answering our prayers and cry out to the Lord on paper in prayer. It can help us with our Christian music. The Psalms are prayers put to music and poems put to music and we reflect on the music that we listen to and it can help us in our temple care our care for our bodies and you may think how in the world does journaling do that because journaling is a means for processing emotions and feelings now here's where I want to make a connection between journaling and the Holy Spirit in Ephesians chapter 4 Verse 26, Paul writes, Don't sin by letting anger control you. Anger, that's an emotion. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. And do not grieve God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander. Now we see here how precarious it is for us to hold toxic emotions in our hearts. Paul writes, don't even hold on to anger for a 24-hour period of time. Get rid of it before the sun goes down. I wonder how many of us are doing that. I wonder how many of us are holding on to anger for days at a time. I wonder how many of us last night allowed the sun to go down on our anger, on bitterness, on disappointment, even on rage. People are driving along and somebody tailgates them or cuts them off in traffic and they explode in rage. Why? Why the overreaction to such a slight provocation? or explode at their children, or explode at their spouse like a volcano just waiting to erupt, isn't it because there's unprocessed anger and emotion? And Paul says, by doing this, we are grieving the Holy Spirit. And so we have to get rid of it. 
Well, that's pretty easy to say, isn't it? Just get rid of the anger. Just get rid of the rage. How am I supposed to do that, Paul? Well, maybe we should do it the way David did it. And Moses. And the sons of Korah. And Asaph. And Jeremiah. They poured their hearts out to the Lord. They poured that emotion out. They wrote it down. And in so doing, they surrendered it to God. Let me return to Chris Voss. I said I'd come back to it. I want to come back to him now. Chris Voss. He continues. Let's go back to the Harlem doorway for a minute. We didn't have a lot to go on, but if you've got three fugitives trapped in an apartment on the 27th floor of a building in Harlem, they don't have to say a word for you to know that they're worried about two things, getting killed and going to jail. So for six straight hours in that sweltering apartment building hallway, I stayed relentlessly on message. Now pay close attention to exactly what we said. Quote, it looks like you don't want to come out. It seems like you worry that if you open the door, we'll come in with guns blazing. It looks like you don't want to go back to jail. We employed our tactical empathy by recognizing and then verbalizing the predictable emotions of the situation. We spotted their feelings, turned them into words, and then very calmly and respectfully repeated their emotions back to them. That's called labeling. Exposing negative thoughts to daylight, it looks like you don't want to go back to jail, makes them seem less frightening. Now, in his book, he now is going to quote a study. This is my last little paragraph here. Pay close attention. He writes, In one brain imaging study, psychology professor Matthew Lieberman of the University of California found that when people are shown photos of faces expressing strong emotion, the brain shows greater activity in the amygdala, the part that generates fear, the part of the brain that generates fear. But when they are asked to label the emotion, the activity moves to the areas that govern rational thinking. In other words, labeling an emotion, applying rational words to a fear, disrupts its raw intensity. That's the science. Now, Chris Voss is saying this as a hostage and crisis negotiator. When he is able to identify and say back to these fugitives what they're feeling, he's disrupting the raw intensity. He's bringing them down. That's not only true of labeling emotions in someone else. It is true in labeling our own emotions. Like many of you, I poo-pooed the whole idea of journaling for most of my life. I'm an old dog who's learned a new trick. 63 years old. I've had other Christians say, hey, you should try journaling. I've read the biographies of great Christians down through the years who were great journalists. And I've always thought to myself, that's superfluous at best, and it's unmanly at worst. What am I going to get a little book and name it Dear Diary, and it's got a key, and I'll unlock it, and I'll jot down my feelings and my thoughts. No, not for me. But I listened to a podcast. These are two Christian counselors. And they're the ones that finally convinced me to give this a try. And they said, this business of, of spiritual journaling is a way to process emotions. I've never been good at processing emotions. I always thought there were just three emotions, sad, mad, and glad. Those are the emotions. 
But they said this is a way of processing emotion. By writing them down, you take the intensity out of them. That's what they said. And said, I said, you know what? I'm just going to give that a try. So this year, I had started doing that. I always ask myself at least two questions when I'm journaling, and I do this every single night without fail, even if it's just a couple of minutes or a few minutes. I always ask, what am I grateful for? And I ask, what am I feeling? What am I feeling? And I write it down. This is what I'm feeling. Why am I feeling that? And I explore that. And like my experience with Christian music, I'm absolutely stunned at what a difference this has made in my spiritual life. I just couldn't believe it. I just wished I had started something like this years and years ago. And I knew I wanted to share this with you in this series. I know there's probably not one in a hundred that are necessarily going to start to do this, but someone might. And there is a precedent for it in the Bible. And our addicts, our addicts who are here or listening, you need to add this to your toolkit. Because acting out as an addict, whether it's pornography or it's alcohol or it's some other kind of a drug or it's binge watching TV or gaming or gambling or cutting or stealing or eating, whatever the action is, that is a way of self-medicating these toxic emotions. And God has given us a better way to do that. It's demonstrated. It's exemplified in the Scripture. This is a healthy way for taking the intensity out. In Bart Millard's childhood, he was tyrannized by an abusive father. Bart would hole up in his room, listen to music, and journal incessantly. Journaling was Bart's cry to God for justice and restoration. The habit of putting pen to paper allowed him to voice that cry in a real and compelling way. Mercifully, God blessed that practice and used it to sustain Bart through his darkest times. And he even used it to birth a song that eventually touched millions of lives. A modern day psalm, if you would. Bart Millard wrote, I can only imagine what it will be like when I walk by your side. I can only imagine what my eyes would see when your face is before me. I can only imagine, surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus, or in awe of you be still? Will I stand in your presence, or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? I can only imagine. When that day comes and I find myself standing in the sun, I can only imagine when all I will do is forever, forever worship you. I can only imagine. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, all of us here, every one of us, without exception in this room, experience strong emotion. Not all of them are positive. Many of them are negative, and we need a way to deal with those two in a practical way to surrender those to you so that you can nail them on the cross, take the toxicity out of our lives. We pray that maybe some of us this morning will try, we'll think about David, we'll think about Moses. Well, think about the sons of Korah and Asaph and Jeremiah who poured out their hearts to you on the written word, through the written word, and surrendered that to you. And you used that to bring healing. Lord, maybe that's a way that someone here will experience the ministry of the Holy Spirit to have love and joy and peace in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.